And just because somebody's white doesn't mean they've not been discriminated against. I think it's racist in itself to assume just because you're black, that's going to be your narrative for the rest of your life. I mean, there are circumstances where that just cannot be true. I remember when we were doing Michael Brown case in Ferguson, the um, white college students in Stanford University started the hashtag crime and wild white. And uh, they had all these videos, I mean, by the hundreds of white people doing extraordinary things where they are challenging the police, pushing the police, hitting the police, and nobody would get shot, nobody would get arrested. But if a black person moved a certain way, we were being killed. So here's, here's the key to all this though. Here's the key to this, whether you're blue, green, purple, black, brown, uh, if a law enforcement officer is encountering you and giving you orders, let's say they're not even lawful orders. Just assume that they are. Do what you're told to do. Yeah. Don't flee, don't run, put your hands where you can see them. And guess what? We'll figure out in a moment's time because I can tell you what, when I work the area of the mall, I, I'm not saying this to be cruel or, or harsh, probably 90% of the lookouts that are broadcast for a larceny in progress or a robbery or a theft is a young black male with a, with a certain description of clothing, which is fairly common. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another very special edition of the Strong Cats with your host, Armstrong Williams. Probably between now um, and the end of February, there will be much discussions about race, civil rights, law enforcement, how much progress we've made. Um, and we seem to have this conversation pretty consistently during this time of the year. Now, I want to say this because I have um, two very special guests on, someone who's been with law enforcement for almost 20 years, um, Lou Hagloff, and also my good friend, Benjamin Crump, who's president of the National Bar Association and one of the leading civil rights lawyers in America. Now, I want to start out because I want to have a different kind of conversation that we've not had before. You know, I've never experienced racism. I can't call one instance in my life, grade school, high school, college, and I deal in the business world as a broadcast owner, with television stations all across the country, hotels, real estate. I deal with people all walks of life. Now, I remember I was in Alabama, um, uh, and I was telling um, someone this story it was a minister's. This is how the Lord works, though, but it's an interesting story. And I was, you know, it's not that I want to. I mean, I heard my brother Ben Crump tell me a story early in the day that was so heart-wrenching and so sad. And I asked myself, well, I don't want those things to happen to me, but I'm the better person to deal with it. I think I'm a better person <laughs> to deal with the kinds of things that people experience in terms of profiling, being stopped by the cops. I, I want to be that guy. I don't mind being that guy because I actually believe I can handle it. But let me tell you this story um, in Alabama. It's a crazy story. So I was telling these ministers who didn't necessarily like my political perspective because I'm a third-generation Republican, pretty conservative. And I was telling them, and they said, it's embarrassing, young man, for you to tell people like that because I think that's very dangerous. I said, well, it's just my story. Um, and so they decided to take me to the airport because I had given a speech. They decided to take me to the airport. And lo and behold, they didn't realize, we were so caught up in the conversation, they didn't realize how fast they were driving. 
This one, now you're getting ready to chance to see what racist cops are about, because we're about to get stopped. And sure enough, this old guy, he had to be in his 70s, he pulled us over. Um, and they were, it was bravo to them. And so the old guy looked in the one. He said, is that Armstrong Williams? He <laughs> said, I love your TV show. Are you all taking him to the airport? I said, yes, officer. And I'm running late. I'm the blame. He said, don't worry about it. Get that man to the airport so he'll make us fly. True story. It's just a crazy story. I, listen, so I get, when, I, when stories like that make me realize, and here's the thing about it, just because I believe this, just because somebody who happens to be black doesn't mean that they've experienced racism in their life. And just because somebody's white doesn't mean they've not been discriminated against. I think it's racist in itself to assume just because you're black, that's going to be your narrative for the rest of your life. I mean, there are circumstances where that just cannot be true. But what I want to do is have a conversation with two people who meet it for the first time <clears throat> to talk about the myths, um, the stereotypes. And yes, some of these things exist. But what is it that we can do to empower people to, when they meet a law enforcement officer, uh, when they are confronted with a situation, how best to defuse that situation so it doesn't escalate into violence and to death and some national media attention? That's what this conversation is about today. Okay. We'll start with you. Um, I think clearly is implicit bias training not only on behalf of the police, but also on the behalf of the community. We all have biases. Nobody can come and say that they have no biases whatsoever. And so you have to be honest with yourself and say that and work constantly to say that I want, I refuse to let my biases cloud my judgment when I first meet a person and I don't know anything about them. And that is on all our parts. Because I think, like you said, there are times when we have implicit biases against law enforcement who happen to be from different parts of town who we don't know, and we assume certain things. And I believe police officers, when they interact with people who they don't know, who they've never seen before, they have certain implicit biases that, if we're not careful, can cloud their judgment and make them treat people not as they would treat all other citizens and vice versa may allow us as people of color to treat law enforcement officers as people who are not worthy of the respect that they deserve. Now, you know, officer, I think he makes a very interesting point because one of the things, I think this is difficult, I think one of the reasons why when I was stopped in Alabama, see, I never see law enforcement individuals in the prism of black and white. I see an individual, and, uh, and I meet them without, try to, without any bias. And also, when you stop by law enforcement, they have the power. So normally, if I'm stopped, I would admit to the office, I know I was speeding a little bit, I, and I kind of make fun of it. I said, I, I, yeah, I was trying to get to the gym. I know it's crazy, and I know you're just doing your job. And listen, nine times out of 10, the officer will give me a warning, and I never get a ticket. And then they will say, well, you're different. Um, you admit, it's not, and, I, and I admit it. Yeah. Um, because officers are not always wrong, and they're not always right. But I don't become defensive. I'm not afraid of you because you're law enforcement. Because, you know, I grew up with a healthy respect for guns, a healthy respect for law enforcement, and not judging people based on whether you wear a badge 
on what the color of your skin. Because to me, law enforcement is law enforcement when they stop you. Yeah. You know, I, I got into this career field. Um, both my parents were in public service, and I just had a desire to help people. It wasn't to get a badge. It wasn't to get a gun. It wasn't to have the power to harass people. Um, you know, when someone calls 911, I don't ask what the color or what the gender is of the person that's calling and asking for help. Um, and I would say that about my peers as well. We're in the business of helping others and responding and seeing what we can do. Um, well, one of the unfortunate things about this field is all day long, all we do is respond to other people's crises. Mm -hmm. You know, and when you think about when you have a bad day, you know, envision yourself like that's what officers basically do. We go from your bad situation to your bad situation to her bad situation. Whatever it is, that's all we do all day long. And what I find is really interesting about having done this job as many years as I have is I was single when I started. Um, and then I got married a couple of years later. And then uh, after a couple more years, my wife started talking to me about how this job has changed me. And I used to say, yeah, for the better, right? Like it's made me more hypervigilant and I see things, you know, because of the training. And she used to hate to bring me to the mall because she's shopping and I'm looking for shoplifters. You know, that's just, it's, it's what the, the, the training kind of makes you, you know, about paying attention to your surroundings and, and who's potentially committing a crime and could I potentially be a victim of what's going on. And that's what the job trains us to be. Uh, quite frankly, that's what society needs us to be, right? Is to be warriors for people so that people can just live happy lives um, free from fear of evil or criminal activity. Uh, it needs warriors out there who we are looking for things or responding to events that need people's help. Um, and so it really, it breaks my heart when I hear a lot of the rhetoric out there um, of some of the different um, movements or people's attitudes uh, because I think we're really misjudged, we're mischaracterized um, because we don't come into the field for the money, I can promise you that, you know. We spend a lot of time working overtime hours because that's where we make enough money to then afford to support our families. Uh, but then, of course, in working all that overtime, you're away from your family, you know. And so a lot of people don't realize that uh, law enforcement officers have one of the highest divorce rates out there, one of the highest suicide rates. And people ask why, and it's because there's a, a mental health crisis just like we have for our military officers because law enforcement are just dealing with death and suicide and all those things that we see on a daily basis that you may go through your lifetime and see, you know, maybe a dead relative in a coffin at a funeral or something, but it was not uncommon to get called to a, a deceased person uh, on, on a daily basis sometimes. Um, so I think the best way to kind of approach and to un have understanding is mutual respect, right? And so when you, let's say, get stopped for speeding, is first and foremost not taking a, a position of, you know, why are you stopping me? Don't you have anything else better to do? It's just simply being respectful, um, you know, keeping your hands where the officer can see them. It's one of the most common ways that an officer is, is killed in the line of duty is traffic stops, right? So what most people don't think about is that officer has no idea who that person is, what they're capable of, what they've done, that that could potentially be a stolen car that's not yet reported. So that's why officers are trained to walk up and be very careful in how they how they treat people. Sometimes you see them with their hand on their gun and you think, they're just stopping me for a red light violation. You know, why have they got their hand on their gun? Well, that might have been the reason for the stop, but they have no idea who you are, what you're capable of, and an officer is always reactionary. We are always reacting to what that person is doing. 
So that's why I tell friends, family, if you get stopped, just keep your hands on the wheel, be polite. I don't ever tell them to admit what it was that they did, you know, but uh, if the officer asks, say, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not sure what, what the violation was. But give them the benefit of the doubt. Because I can tell you on days like today, uh, if you get stopped for traffic, there's a lot warmer places the officer would rather be than out patrolling the streets, right? But, um, you know, simply having a good attitude, being respectful of whatever it is that they're asking for. And I'll tell you, personally, I give every single person that I encounter in that situation the benefit of the doubt, and I let them either talk their way into or talk their way out of a ticket. That's yeah. my perspective. Yeah. And if they're truthful with me, and I believe their story, and they're remorseful, just like as a parent, right? What do we hope with our children? The reason we discipline them is we hope that they're remorseful, and then they discontinue the act. Uh, and not to you know, make that analogy for another grown adult that you're encountering, but we observe a violation, we make a traffic stop, we hope that they acknowledge, yes, I made a mistake, this is the condition, I'm sorry, I'm running let whatever. Okay, well, just be more careful for me. Make sure that their license is valid. Run and make sure they don't have any prior tickets. Maybe ask them, what was the last moving violation that you had? You know, establish some level of credibility because I can run their driving transcript and see if they're being truthful or not. And if they are, you cut them a break. You cut them a break. How do you, how do you respond? No, I think it is about respect. Um, I honestly have a lot of dialogues with law enforcement around the nation as we try to come to some resolution where we can prevent the tragic incidents on both sides. Yeah. Um, I, you know, one of the things I often have heard with uh, Noble, uh, that's the black law enforcement executives, as trying to not just be the peacemaker, I mean the peacekeepers, but the peacemakers as much as you can because you're trying to build credibility with the community and you have to acknowledge that there may be some levels of distrust. Sure. And so you go into it saying, how can I defuse it as the professional? Uh, knowing that it's an awfully dangerous job, you always give respect that we need police. Um, and I think in communities of color, we need police more than anybody because you want to say that if there are people who are doing violent crimes, we want the police there to protect our children. Uh, and so there has to be a, an acknowledgement that the police serve a vital role in our society, but not just in our society, in our everyday walk of life. Um, but on the reverse of that, we ha can never turn a blind eye to the fact that there's a reason for the distrust there when you think about the history of policing in America uh, and that we have to say, we can do better if we all work together. And on today of all days, when we think about the um, rhetoric and the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King saying that we just want our children to be judged by the content of their character, just like you want your children to be judged by the content of their character and not be prejudged by the color of their skin because no matter what the reason is, we know the reasons that in the criminal justice system, there are far more people of color, especially African-American and Latino, that are in confined to the criminal justice system. And I believe as a civil rights lawyer, 
some of that is because of the stereotypes and the implicit biases. So I fight to do that, I uh, challenge that every day because I believe that Dr. King was right when he said it's about the content of your character and not the color of your skin. So, Luke, what, what do you find that law enforcement does a yeoman's job with the community, but where do you also find they can do a better job with the community? So I think, as is the case with much of life, education is so just vitally important, right? It's just, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's helping others understand where we come from, and it's also us doing a better job of understanding where they come from. So you start off telling a story about that you've never, you know, felt discrimination or, or racism. Um, neither have I specifically, not certainly not because of the color of my skin, but I can tell you part of the reason that I, I'm employed here in this DC metropolitan area is as a young man with a college education, uh, I took the civil service exam back home and scored very highly, uh, but didn't get selected because I was a white male. And as a young person, do you think that that embittered me a little bit? It did. Um, you know, but being a person of faith, uh, I looked for other opportunities and spread my wings and I wound up here and here I've had this fantastic career for almost 20 years now and not planning on going anywhere. I work for a great organization, uh, very well educated. And I think part of the reason we don't have the issues that you may see in a lot of these parts of the country is we hire quality officers with good education and uh, we spend a lot of time with our community outreach teams mm -hmm. and engage in the community. Right, because if you can, just like that video I shared with you earlier today, if you can help people understand what it's like, you know, to, to do our job, I think they will give us sometimes the benefit of the doubt. Because ultimately, when you look at some of these cases, you know, where you have unfortunate, terrible situations of officers shooting someone, you know, like I would pose this question, if you have someone that's fleeing, if someone's fleeing me, okay, I, I'm responding because of a report, either the victim or a witness calls me, there's an emergency, let's say, or whatever it is. They're, they're giving me a lookout, a description. I'm not making up the gender or the color of the person. I'm going off what that person is telling me is the suspect. And if I respond and I see somebody matching that description and I give them a lawful order, right, and I see something in their hand that I believe to be a, a gun, doesn't matter if it's a BB gun or fake, you don't know. And you don't have the luxury. You don't have the luxury of second guessing and thinking it could be a fake weapon, right? And so I give that person an order and they take and run. As community members, let's say you lived in that neighborhood. What, I'm not saying I authorize or justify anyone shooting someone in the back, but if they take off running, what does the community expect of us as law enforcement officers? Do they not want us to give chase to that person? But let's say they're faster, they're younger, they don't have, I, 31 pounds of equipment is what I wear in my body between my armor and my police belt. 31 pounds. Okay? How am I supposed to catch a person perhaps half my age? It's virtually impossible. Yeah. You know? So I don't know what the solution is. Well, but, you know? Yeah, I think it goes back to training. Uh, doing a lot of these uh, police excessive force, wrongful death cases, mm -hmm. I often find myself in discovery saying, how were you trained? Because if the person is fleeing you and you can't tell if they have a weapon or not, 
just like if it's a white person, I want you to give that young black person, that young Hispanic person, the same benefit of consideration that you would give that young white person. It's very rare yeah. that we see police officers shoot white men in the back. However, we see that it's almost a, a trend that they shoot black men in the back running away. So the question is, how do we fix that yeah. divide uh, to say that, no, no, let's give everybody's children the benefit of a consideration if we can. Now, obviously, if it's somebody and they are, um, you know that they have a uh, background, you got to call that this person has a violent history, then you may have to consider it differently. But if you don't know anything about you them. typically don't. Yeah, and, and so we've seen videos. I remember when we were doing Michael Brown case in Ferguson, the um, white college students in Stanford University started the hashtag crime and wild white. And uh, they had all these videos, I mean, by the hundreds of white people doing extraordinary things where they are challenging the police, pushing the police, hitting the police, and nobody would get shot, nobody would get arrested. But if a black person moved a certain way, we were being killed. And it just showed a stark contrast in how police interacted and responded to people of uh, different ethnicities. And so that's what we got to figure out, man, because we need police officers. Yeah. We absolutely need police officers. We need police officers to protect us and serve us like they do everybody else and not police us if they're not going to police everybody else. Yeah. Well, we want is equal justice and equality just like everybody else. We want you to get home safe and we want our children to get home safe. Yeah. How do you respond to the videos <clears throat> from Stanford, the hundreds of videos? Who, me? No. Oh, okay. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't seen them. I, I don't know uh, what they represent. Uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's dangerous to make um, broad statements to say uh, that across the board, uh, white people aren't shot in the back uh, as frequently. Not, I, I not think just the shooting, just behavior that someone who's a minority would be accosted for arrested for what they were showing, we do the same and nothing happened. I think you'd actually have to look at stats on that. I think you'd have to look at do how you many think it's true? I don't know. I, I don't I don't experience that. I haven't experienced that. Um, yeah, I mean I can tell you that Do you think that represents I, I think seeing is believing that is um uh, here's what I'm trying to ask you. Do you think that is the norm? You don't I, think it's an exception? I, I, I pray that it's the exception, but I think implicit biases are with us all. And as we started the conversation, you have to work hard to, and you may be the exception to the rule. I have to work on it, Armstrong, to not let my implicit biases cloud my judgment to give everybody the benefit of the doubt and the benefit of consideration. Because when you watch those videos, don't take Ben Crump word for it. Go put in hashtag <laughs> Crime and wild white. You know, I, I mean, I don't, you will see, you will see these videos, and, and you'll be like, "Oh my God!" If a black person would have been did that, they would have been killed, and everybody would have said it was justified. But yet, the police are retreating, you know, and they're not doing anything. And I mean, people are drawing weapons, doing everything, and they still won't do anything. And you say, "Now, the only difference I can see in that and somebody who was black who made a sudden movement." 
is the skin color. I'm trying to figure out what else is the difference. Now, let me tell you what my challenge is in, mm -hmm. in listening to this conversation, because I do think we all must examine ourselves. You know, when those, when I hear about the crimes of race, I never see myself. I, I see it as an injustice. I am just as outraged, no matter what the color is. I'm not more outraged if the young child who died in Houston, whether she was black, white, Native American, or Jewish, it wouldn't matter. I think we dumb down our humanity if our rage is more outrageous, depending not only on the color of the victim, but the color of the assailant. So for me, and I, and I think, and I, I never really thought about this deeply before, when a police officer stops me, I'm in a confrontation, I never see myself as being black. Uh, anything that is associated with what it means to be black when you have a confrontation with a law enforcement. I see myself as the history I've had with law enforcement, and that's what I bring. And I see it, I read it, I'm, a, I'm in broadcast, I'm on the air, but I don't internalize that. I see it as somebody else's story. And I don't know if, if that's, I, I don't know, I, ju I just don't. Should I feel differently and have more of an affinity to it because I happen to be black and they're black too? Well, uh, tell me your question because I was going to say, it is my hope and prayer that even though you don't see yourself as black when... No, no, I don't see myself with the stereotypes of what happens between blacks and law enforcement when I stop. I don't see that officer being a threat to me, that my life is threatened, okay. I could get killed. I don't see that. that that's different. That's different, I, I, I would say, in many respects. You don't see the officer as being a threat or... No, somebody. I don't. That's fine. Yeah. But you don't know how that officer is going to view you because that's, again, implicit bias training constantly because I'm strong... As, as successful as you are. And you know, we talk about this all the time. You're one of the few brothers who own television stations and uh, a very successful businessman. Dressed like you are on a dark night, if you moved a certain way, I would worry about you. If you didn't make sure your hands were seen and so forth. And the reverse of that to me is, if you were a white man dressed like that there, I doubt very seriously that you move a certain way, you might get shot. But as a black man at nighttime, if you move a certain way, I would worry about my brother Armstrong but, being shot. But so if the law enforcement, whatever they're going to ask me to do, I'm going to, whether no matter what. Man, I've I, seen, because I do this, and, and, and Luke may have be able to respond to this, but I've seen, we've been in court, mm -hmm. and we've tried to um, put in evidence on a particular department that had videos of other shootings where, obviously, they treated the situation that we're in the court for differently because, you know, that's the good thing with body cam video. Mm -hmm. you, you know, they, you store it and everything, and when you're in discovery, you can subpoena it. So our experts are watching hours of video, and you're seeing how they treat uh, minority uh, suspects or detainees versus white detainees. And it's not just police. You know, with the American Bar Association, they did a study on implicit bias training where the judges were issuing sentences and they had commissioned the cameras to videotape everything. And they, after a year long, came back and reviewed it. And they, black judges even said, man, I didn't even realize I was discriminating against black uh, defendants. The they were giving wow. harsher sentences to blacks and Latinos versus white people and with identical. And you're saying uh, they're conditioned for this? 
No, I think it's, it's a mindset. I think it's implicit bias training constantly. But the call, judges are not but, trained. No, no, judges they're have to there go through, in the justice. No, no, they have to go through training too. Because remember, the police, I believe, are at here. The judges in the criminal justice system is here. The prosecutors and then the judges, and they're supposed to be the insurers of justice and equality. But if they are not being fair and they're letting their implicit bias training get the best of their judgment, then you see the outcomes constantly in the people who are being incarcerated. And last thing I'll say is this. You talked about Houston and the young girl uh, and the outrage because there was this allegation made that it was a white man that killed her. I think that we should always be outraged when a, a person is killed, especially our children. I don't care if it's a, a black hand or a white hand pull the trigger. It makes no difference to that mother who's lost their child and so forth. But I will submit to you, Armstrong and Luke, and everybody out here who's watching this podcast, look at the statistics. The most common determinant factor of who ends up on death row is the ethnicity of the victim and the ethnicity of the killer or the alleged killer. And that's how you get this statistic that makes no sense to anybody where black men only make up at most six or seven percent of the population in America, but make up almost 45 percent of the population on death row. How do you respond to all We just said, just said a lot here. So a couple of things really resonate yeah. with me here. You know, um, the first thing is um, I, I think it's, it's really, again, dangerous to make kind of a blanket statement um, and to judge law enforcement on whole over the mistakes that some make. So I, I am I for concur. full transparency, for full uh, accountability. And if officers are doing things and it's captured on video, I know we use that. I've can, done plenty of Can I say one quick thing to yes, that, Luke? Just one quick thing. The same thing, I concur with you, is it's not good to make blanket statements against yes. police. Yes. And it's not good to make blanket statements against black people. Yes, I agree. Okay. And so, but there's a narrative, there's a rhetoric that kind of, uh, encourages that, 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 and yeah. uh, just like you know, my parents raised me to never judge anyone based on the things that other people are saying about them. Yes, sir. Uh, but on your personal experience, uh, you can say that anytime you've had any personal experience, uh, it's been positive, and so obviously you're going to. No, have it's what more. I've expected. Or, okay. Well, this is what I've expected. So, right. so here's, here's the key to all this, though. Here's the key to this: whether you're blue, green, purple, black, brown, uh, if a law enforcement officer is encountering you and giving you orders, let's say they're not even lawful orders. Just assume that they are. Do what you're told to do. Yeah. Don't flee. Don't run. Put your hands where you can see them. And guess what? We'll figure out in a moment's time because I can tell you what, when I work the area of the mall, I, I'm not saying this to be cruel or, or harsh. Mm -hmm. Probably 90% of the lookouts that are broadcast for a larceny in progress or a robbery or a theft is a young black male with a, with a certain description of clothing, which is fairly common. You know, so officers are going to flood that area, look for anyone that matches that description, and they're going to encounter them, right? And they have a duty to determine whether or not that is the person, right? They're, they're not just making that up. They're responding to what the 911 call says. Absolutely. So if they do what they're told to do, I understand it would be very frustrating. I would be frustrated if I was always getting stopped, but I'm 
you know, I'm, I'm not the one that's <laughs> but, harassing you because I'm, I'm responding uh, to the description two, of the two crime quick, that occurred. Two quick responses on that, if I may. Yes. Um, you, you ought to have to wonder about just the implicit bias of it all. And, and I think we would be naive in America if we tried to overlook all the implicit biases and 911 operators, police, uh, business owners, anything, because whether it's the war on drugs, whether it's the war on crime, anything, they're, they're good in the best of us, they're bad in the worst of us. I'm sorry, they're bad in the best of us, sure. good in the worst of us. Black men are no worse than white men. And, and anything to suggest that is you're now starting to play into this intellectual justification of discrimination. It's, it's not the case. And so we have to fight that notion that, well, most of the calls are called on young black people. Well, you have to say, well, why is that? Well, and, and, you okay. know, it's a, a number of so, factors. And, and I'll let you do that. And the only second thing I will say is this here. Uh, when you give the orders, I want people to follow all the orders of the police because it's for a safety purpose. Yes. However, I still have to be honest, when white people don't follow the orders, they are not being killed. And I'm not making a blanket statement. I'm just saying, go look at stuff out there with your own eyes. Let's try to learn from it. And maybe you all, with the training and the expertise, can say, well, why are the officers shooting the people of color and giving the benefit of the doubt to the white people on all these videos? And we can just pick randomly on the internet. And you can just say, let's go pick a hundred times when they had interactions with white people, hundred times they had interactions with black people, and why is it they're shooting black people more? You know what? I, I believe it or not, that's the final word. Well, he had something to say, not interrupt. Go ahead, go ahead, <laughs> quickly. No, that's okay. Okay, look, justice should always be blind. It should always be fair. It should always be moral. It should never be about the hue of someone's skin or what they're wearing. It should always be about the behavior. And when I'm stopped by law enforcement, I feel like I'm always in control. I don't ever feel the law enforcement officer dictates the outcome of the situation. And for me in my life, that has always proven to be true. Thank you so much for joining us. I know, brother. <laughs> I, know, I know we can You always about... make me stretch my dimension. Yes, Thank I'm you. always in control. It's always been the situation. Thank you for joining us for this edition of The Strong Cast. I'm Armstrong Williams. What an amazing conversation.